Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Kingdom Living Here and Now. The Christian life is so much more than just a one-time decision to secure a place in heaven. What if you could experience heaven on earth today? Not flying angels singing on clouds, but the fulfilled, abundant life Jesus promised in the Bible. A life that regardless of your circumstances or your present context, experiences joy, happiness, and peace that is difficult to encapsulate in human terms. What if heaven was available to us today? <clears throat> and we think it is. Much of the way the gospel has been packaged in modern times revolves around joining up with God's kingdom after we die. If you think about it, even our prayers, our services, our creeds, our motivations are geared toward tomorrow. If you boil the Christian life down for many people, the ultimate hope of believers is to get to heaven, essentially leave this world after you die. It seems that our obsession with the future causes us to care little about what God is doing today. And sadly, most rarely think about the kingdom. They think about it, but don't really speak about it. For Jesus, the kingdom of heaven was the predominant topic of his ministry. His message about the kingdom was more than a reminder to obtain your ticket to the great, for example, Disney World in the sky, something it would seem many Christians are hoping and waiting for. We undervalue the thrust of Jesus' ministry message when we focus on the future at the expense of the present. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, when he speaks of it, in the gospels, when he speaks of the kingdom of heaven in the gospel, he is envisioning God's kingdom rule and reign in the present day on earth, not just a day when believers would be ejected into the spiritual realm. Sadly, this manif 
This misunderstanding, I'm sorry, has plagued and paralyzed believers from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. Yes, God is a God who desires to break into civilization. He came down to be with Adam. He came down on Sinai. He came down in his son, Jesus, and he will come down at the end of days. We're trying to leave the world and God is trying to enter it. So how is our obsession with getting to heaven paralyzing or how is it problematic? Some people say, and you've heard it said, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. When believers are self-absorbed, when they're only focused on their own eternal rewards in heaven, we lose sight of our calling on earth. Jesus gave us a commission to make reproducible followers of him. It's called the Great Co-Mission for a reason, some say. Co-mission. God expects our involvement. The reason he didn't eject us into the fields of paradise the moment we were born again is because there's work to be done. You were saved, not just from the world, but for the world. Now, most evangelistic tactics move people toward making a decision or uh, a convert. However, Jesus and his disciples were concerned with making disciples. New birth is necessary to move from life to death, but it doesn't end there. Focusing on afterlife hinders us from seeing the glorious end of God's consummation of all things. So this happens when we reduce the Christian life simply to leave in earth, to live in heaven. God is who created heaven and earth in the beginning is going to renew and restore it in the end. For example, the marriage picture, the joining of husband and wife on earth, and in this case, Jesus Christ and his church that changes our perspective of the last days and the purpose of life today. As symbols of heaven on earth, our actions today have a deeper meaning to them, knowing one day that God will make all wrongs right and renew his creation on earth. The effect can be that we get saved and then we simply wait around for heaven. But what is the fallout from viewing salvation in Christ as simply a way to escape hell. It shouldn't end there. Jesus expects so more, much more. He commands so much more. But in this model, spiritual disciplines in the Christian life becomes recommended, but not, but not, but not required, but not a required activity.
It's recommended the way we see it, the way a lot of people see it. Obedience is optional. Reading the Bible is optional. Memorizing the scriptures is, is optional. Praying and fasting are optional. Whether I share the gospel with a lost person is a choice that I may never make. Surely this can't be what Jesus envisioned when he commanded his followers to make disciples of all men. Surprisingly, <clears throat> moving people through a process from making a decision to becoming a maturing follower of Jesus is foreign in many churches today. And an escapism mentality, on the other hand, permeates our evangelistic conversations. We say things like, you need to get saved because you don't want to go to hell, do you? It's hot down there. Choose heaven so you can spend eternity with God. Now, this is all true. But is it the whole gospel? For many years, we preached half the gospel by encouraging people to be saved from something, namely sin, wrath, damnation, and eternal punishment. But we neglected the fact that we are also saved for something, saved for something. What if heaven was available to us today? And I think it is. That's why we talk about kingdom living here and now. The good news, according to scripture, is that believers don't have to wait to dwell with God. God's creation of the universe was miraculous, but his desire to live among us is dominant. His design for heaven and earth in Genesis points to the concept of a temple, a dwelling place for God. God then populated his temple with people, fashioning mankind as an image of his glory. But sin marred that image. Therefore, God took matters in his own hands by sending his son to dwell as a man in order to accomplish the task that Adam was incapable of doing. And that is living in perfect harmony with God. What God does in sending the Son, says one theologian, is to establish Jesus as the Messiah, which means King. And God established in Jesus Christ the kingdom of God which means the king is ruling in his kingdom. God with us is sprinkled throughout the Bible. Look at the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments speak to our relationship with God. The final six deal with our relationship with others. The commandments were not unfair restrictions or infringements on their personal liberties. They were revolutionary countercultural decrees. Now in Egypt, the people were tempted by rampant paganism, sexual immorality, selfishness, greed, and lust for power. 
So God was setting a new standard. Standard. The law should not be viewed as a mere conduct to live by. It was a means for intimacy with the personal God who desired to dwell among his people. The ultimate obedience to the commands of God was out of devotion, never, never mere duty. The commandments were a compass to righteous living and a right relationship with God. Now, grace from God precedes work for God. Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by stating the importance of obeying the words he shared. Obedience to the commands of Christ is not legalism. For example, legalism says, I must obey God in order to be saved. But grace says, grace says, I must obey God because I am saved. The, the same is true today. God saved us apart from any good deed we could offer. Although God redeemed us by his gracious initiative, he expects us to live for him through obedience. We are not saved. Listen. We are not saved by good works, but we will do good works after being saved because of the relationship we have been brought into. For Jesus, the kingdom is multidimensional in its scope and significance. One person identifies three primary ways that Jesus used the phrase, the, the, that phrase, it says the kingdom draws attention to a person. The kingdom emphasizes a power presently at work. Or the kingdom refers collectively to a people who have entered it as followers of Jesus. Most often, Jesus referred to the kingdom as a present power that is ruling over time and over one's life not in terms of a future place to wait for after we die. A citizen of the kingdom follows the instructions of the king, a response that gathers blessings, favor, and abundant life today. The good news of the gospel is that born-again believers can experience true life today. God bless you. This is only part one. We will continue with part two on next Friday. Have a blessed week.